um, knowing that some people will miss some and it, it's not quite, doesn't have quite the same continuity as, as when we kind of work march through John or epistles of John or Ephesians, which we'll come back to Ephesians. The thought I had on holiday was to come and do a short series on the grace of God. Hopefully each one is kind of almost within itself a subject. But uh. How many of you know the hymn Amazing Grace? You believe it? Good. Let me just rehearse the first verse again to you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was not good. I was not right. Anything but that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What happened? Oh, I decided to become a Christian. No. Grace changed you. Grace, God's sheer goodness, changed you. Let's pray as we get into week two. Father in heaven, I pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding yet again so we see wonderful things out of your word. But we see and admire this grace of God and say, why didn't I think about it? like this before, we want, to, we want our, our, our dimensions to be expanded. We want, to, we want height, breadth, depth, width, everything. Just expand in how we see your goodness and grace towards us through Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us in that now, I pray. Amen. Let's just go back to last week pick up one point, not to preach all of last week, um, the notes are there, the CDs are there, you can do that. You can also pick up online on SoundCloud or on our website. Uh, uh, in SoundCloud you can kind of, you can subscribe to the sermons so you get a reminder every week in, in your email box of the new ones in, the new ones in, the new ones in. So that's, that's very helpful. Um, we explored for a while last week the difference between grace and mercy because a lot of people, when you ask them about grace, well, how do you understand grace, what they're describing is mercy. You ask them, tell me about grace. They say, oh, God, God loves us and forgives us and, and receives us and accepts us. And that's God acting towards us despite what we are out of his goodness. That's mercy. Doing what is undeserved. Doing what is unmerited. That's merciful. Yeah? But grace includes mercy, but grace is bigger than mercy. It's more than mercy and goes further than mercy. And in fact, if you go to the, the letters of the New Testament, starting with the Romans and through Corinthians and so on, you find Paul and Peter and others addressing people. And what they normally say at the beginning of every, every letter is grace to you. And then sometimes they spin it out longer, grace, mercy, and peace to you. The long version is grace, mercy, and peace. But if they just say grace, it includes mercy and peace. Grace wraps up the rest. Mercy is our receiving the grace of God to meet our needs and deal with our sins and our faults and our shame and our guilt. Peace is then the enjoyment of acceptance with, by God and resting in his grace and his love. But grace is a big word. It sums up all the work of God in all his wisdom, his love, his power to bring the lost children of Adam, lost in their sin, back to being the children of God. So, mercy forgives you for your old life of sin and selfishness and egotism. 
But grace empowers you to change and live a new life for the glory of God. Grace goes further than mercy. Grace changes everything. I know there are songs, popular songs, that say love changes everything. Mm-mm. Not really. God's grace changes everything. I want you to look at this scripture with me, Hebrews 4. I'm going to pick through a couple of scriptures today. It's all in this verse here, what I'm going to about to say. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. You see the two there together? Mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time, or some versions say, in time of need. But every, every hour is a time of need for me, I don't know about you. <laughs> the context of that verse is this, that we have such a high priest, Jesus the Son of God, who's entered heaven, yet still understands and sympathizes with us because he's still the man in Christ, Christ Jesus. So that we may come boldly to him, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy that deals with our need and grace that helps us to deal with our need. Grace helps us. When you catch that word help, it doesn't just feel something for you, it doesn't just sympathize, it doesn't just act in mercy towards you, grace helps you. Now, say I was, you know, not that old yet, but say I kind of, oh, I'm falling over. You reached out, especially when you're a big, strong guy, you reached out, put your arm underneath me and pulled me up again. That's help, isn't it? That's help. I'm trying to lift something that's too heavy. You go, no, come on, I'll do it with you. That's help. Grace helps us from heaven to earth. Grace helps us. The throne is the throne of grace. It's the throne of God and of Christ and represents all that God is to us. God, our loving Father, Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Shepherd and Master. If we're needy, Perhaps we've seen we've offended against the Lord. We need mercy to forgive us, but we need more than mercy. We need grace to change and empower us. We go away from that visit to the throne of grace, not to do the same things all over again, make the same bad choices, the same bad behavior, but to find the help of God to change. That we may receive mercy to deal with where we are and grace to take us somewhere else. Grace to help. Grace takes you on and takes you further to make better decisions and take better actions. Mercy forgives and receives us, but grace helps us. How does it help us? Well, in two ways, I'm going to look at it in Scripture this morning. How does grace help us? First of all, grace teaches us. Grace teaches us. Well, you could say the Bible teaches us. Yes, well, actually, this is called in at least two places, the word of his grace. Now, the Old Testament isn't particularly the word of his grace, but the New Testament certainly is the word of his grace. Even the hard bits, the tough bits in the epistles, that list, you know, our sins and faults and so on, is still the word of his grace. Why? Because he wants to move you on from that. Grace comes to help us. To not stay where we're ashamed of these things. It's the word of his grace. 
Grace doesn't just put away our past sins. It teaches us to live a new life for the glory of God. Consider this in Titus. Paul writing to his junior leader, Titus, left in charge of churches in Crete, I think he was. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation made available, in, in that sense, for all people. Grace of God. While we wait for the blessed hope. I haven't got verse 12. Oh. Sorry, I've got to read it, haven't I? The grace of God has appeared for the salvation for all people. Look at your notes for a moment. Instructing us to deny ungodliness or godlessness, sorry, and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. See, when we first come to know the Lord, we've got a history already, a past life of mess and confusion and sin and, and things we're ashamed of, things we really wish we'd never done. So there are two parts to this. The grace of God teaches us to put away that old life, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, to put them away. And there's lists in the New Testament. Not, this is not Old Testament. This is not law. Lists in the New Testament about things that are no longer appropriate if you become a Christian. Including sexual immorality, deceiving, lying, um, uh, loving money, um, being a glutton, being a drunkard, uh, using coarse language, being a gossip, manipulating people, which is called witchcraft. You know, th there's a list of things there. list of things there. Being violent, no, no, no longer fitting. It's like, got to drop those. They're past. So the grace of God teaches us, and interestingly, some modern translations put it this way, to say no to ungodliness. To deny is not just to say, well, I don't want that anymore. It's to say no to it. Yeah? I remember walking to work years ago, thought came in mind. I'd had this prov provoking thought for a long time. I won't tell you what it was. And as I'm walking along the pavement, one, one moment, crazy guy, right, walking through Westminster to work, and I go, no! <laughs> in the middle of the pavement. Did the job. Did the job. I'm not having that. Grace teaches us to say no to things that are godless and worldly in their appetites. See, as a Christian, we learn to, make, we learn to control our appetites. For food, for leisure, for drink, for sex. We, those appetites come under order to serve what is godly and good. That means... A Christian will not and must not live just like everyone else in the world. We see their values. We know, it, we know the values and lifestyles that are being promoted. We can't be that. Do you hear me? We can't be that. Because though we're in the world, we're not of the world. It's not that we're proud and we're looking down on people and despising them. But grace teaches us to change. 
to not remain what we were. We're on a narrow way that leads to life, not the broad way that leads to destruction. That's Jesus, by the way, that comment. We shouldn't boast about it or be always contending with people and being holier than them and goody-goodies, but we, we have a different and new life to live and we need to get rid of our old one. That's why we need to be Christian. By the way, when we baptize people, and hidden in here is a baptism pool in that table, baptism is being buried with Christ to your old way of life and raised again to the newness of life. Now, if someone's been baptized and they go back to their old life, somebody's, somebody's made somebody a liar there. You better figure that one out. Because you died and buried the old life. We live in this present evil age, but we don't belong to it. We're children of God and citizens of heaven. Then the grace of God teaches us positively to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Right in this messy time we're in now. Yeah? With all that the world advertises and publicizes and everything else. To live here in this wicked world in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Whilst we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus, who will end the whole moral struggle and liberate us into our full redemption and freedom as the children of God. Listen, let's pick up these three words. This new life of being a Christian, of being in Jesus, will be sensible. Sensible. Right thinking, right-minded. Not right-wing, I didn't say that. I said right-thinking, right-minded. In other words, we will no longer be unreasoning, brutish, just following our feelings or emotions or appetites. It's sensible. You know? Another place Paul says, we haven't received the spirit that leads us to fear, but a spirit that gives us right-mindedness. We can think it through. We can reason it through. We can argue through. The Bible teaches me this. The grace of God teaches me this. Therefore, I'll make this decision. We make sensible decisions about the way we handle life because the scriptures teach us and the grace of God teaches us and the Holy Spirit leads us to be sensible people with reason, with thought. Then righteous. Now I'm going to explain righteous to you. Righteous is not a list of do's and don'ts. That's legalism. Righteous is this. It's right relationship, right standing with God and therefore right behavior that is appropriate to this relationship. David and Shomi's wedding recently. Again, we heard the vows. Do you take this woman to be your wife? To have and to hold from this way forward, forsaking all other? Yeah. For richer, for poorer, for better or worse. So, I'm not remembering it in the right order, but it's kind of in there somewhere. We say in those vows, this is your new way of life now together. And any other romantic whatever, go. Yeah? You know, all I have I give to you. It's no longer my money. You can't have my money. It's not your money. It's ours. Get it? We say it because there is a new way of behaving which needs to be worked out because that's what's appropriate to a married couple. This is the package. This is what it is. 
So there's a new pattern of behavior that is appropriate to being a married person. Some of you are smiling at me. You get, <laughs> do I need to preach this more? No, that's not the subject today. So, when we come into a new relationship with God through Jesus, there is a whole new lifestyle which is now appropriate to that, life, to that new relationship. And there are other things which now are inappropriate. They're not fitting, is the language that Paul uses. They're not fitting to the children of God. So righteousness is right relationship, which leads to right behavior. You don't, right behavior doesn't make the relationship. We don't build up our behavior so we're then accepted. It's because we've been accepted by the grace of God that the right behavior begins to come into place. Grace teaches us righteousness. How to live in a way that is appropriate to this love-grace relationship that God has covenanted with us. And in a godly way. It will be godly. God-centered. God-focused. Using his means of grace to receive and live by his grace. See, God delivers grace to us. Not all in one go. It's not, kind of, not without some, some means of getting it to you. And biblically, I believe, there are means of grace. There are ways in which the grace of God is delivered to us. Reading scripture. Praying. Worshipping him. Um... I'll probably do a Sunday on means of grace before we're through, but scripture, prayer, worship, fellowship, sharing time together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. If we sit and have a good natural and gossip, that's not fellowship. But when we talk together about helping one another in the Lord, that's fellowship. Serving, giving, those are ways in which God's grace reaches us. We get more of his grace. We're not buying it. But when we, do, when we take the appropriate steps, which he has said, he has said in his word, he will honor us when we do that, when we do what he tells us to do, we get grace. That's the deal. It's like, it's like you know, food on the table. What do you got to do? You got to put it like that. And the means of grace are the way that we actually take hold of the grace of God that's on offer to us in those particular ways, in those particular fashions. So there are two parts to this. One is denying and the other is appropriating, taking hold of. Letting go of, taking hold of. Death and new life. It's a pattern that repeats in Scripture. Paul in one place talks about putting off our old way of life like putting off an old set of clothes and putting on the new life in Jesus like putting on a new suit. Putting on new life in him. More urgently, both Jesus himself and Paul talk about dying to an old way of life and being given or being raised from the dead to a new life. See, being a Christian is not just a little activity on a Sunday or a little pastime, a little religious thing going on. I have my faith, you know, I don't like to talk about it, but I have my faith. Christianity, being a Christian, is life and death. This is life and death. Because you're either alive towards God or you're dead towards Him. And you're either heading towards eternal life or toward eternal death. This is life and death. The gospel isn't some, a nice addition to human life. It addresses human life about you're dead, now you need to be alive. And the only way to be alive is through Jesus. It's a life and death issue. Romans 8 is a favorite chapter of many people. Uh, but this, this is tucked in halfway through. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Romans 8, 12, 13. So then, brothers, we're not obligated to the flesh. That's our fallen human nature. It's, it's our body, but it's more than our body. It's, it's what's in us. It's our fallen human nature. 
to live according to that flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. Not many people put that on a birthday card, do they? <laughs> or on the fridge magnet. If you live according to fallen human nature, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit, capital S, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is life and death, folks. It's life and death. Grace teaches us to deny, to put away, to take hold of, to put on, to live sensibly, righteously, godly. godly. But it, I don't know about you, but if someone teaches me something and all I hear is words and I don't see it, I don't get it, oh, stop, talk, stop telling me. I don't know what, you know. Show me. Or even better, you know, do it and then I'll follow you. There's something about being empowered by example or even empowered by, you know, seeing it, getting it. If we were taught to, you know, there's something about this, about the law, you see. Because the law was given by God to show how sinful sin was. And for centuries people addressed that law, Moses, others. David said, your law is wonderful, but it, it's too high for me. You know, I can't attain to it. This is a mix of, he, he loved it, he wondered at it, but it was like, whoa, it's, wow. And in Romans 7, Paul talks about what I believe is his experience of being a, a Jewish person, wanting to live under the law. And he said, the law is good, the law is pure, the law is holy, but I can't do it. I find something else working in here that says, no, I can't do it. And you see, in Romans 7, he says, the law said, don't covet. That, that's don't look at things and want them. You know, you kind of, you know, that's what advertising is about, by the way. It's about coveting. Um, you know, oh, I want his car. Oh, look at that. I want one of those. You know, don't covet your, 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 your neighbor's donkey or his wife or his whatever. Well, nowadays it's his BMW. And his... <laughs> but he says, when the law said to me, don't covet, guess what? Coveting kind of exploded out of my chest. I'm paraphrasing a bit. He says, I found another law at work in me. It's the law of sin and death. And it went, coveting? What's that? Oh, that's what coveting is. Wow, covet, 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 covet. <laughs> you think, nah, you're overplaying it. Okay, try this. Say to your children, don't touch those cakes. What cakes? <laughs> law provokes rebellion. Punishes the wrongdoers, but it doesn't prevent wrongdoing. It can only punish the wrongdoing. I keep nagging politicians with that. I think they can pass laws and change people. Nah. See, Paul knew the law of God and loved it, admired it, thought it was pure and godly and holy, and, but he found that he could not keep it. So he was being taught something, but he had no ability to obey it. That's where grace comes in. Grace gives us the ability not only to believe, but to obey, to do. And next week we're going to look at some of John's gospel and the epistle of John. Go back to some of those things from a year or two ago. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We go, oh, that's ridiculous. No, no, no. You're missing the point. Grace enables us helps us. So grace is God's equipping presence and power. 
God comes close to help us, to equip us, to enable us, to switch the power, the energy on so we can do this. Now, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious saying it that way, but it might be, help you to imagine it. It's actually the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not just a force. God helps us. In fact, to pick up in Romans 5 again, grace reigns. Paul often writes about his own experience in saying, I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. He writes about the grace of God as being something which empowered him and enabled him and equipped him. And that's not just because he was an apostle. That is for every Christian. We need to imagine the grace of God not just as dealing with us when we get things wrong, but empowering us and helping us to live right. Grace changes everything. Grace reigns. We need to be empowered by God's grace, not to do just works of the kingdom, you know, kind of the signs and wonders and preaching the gospel. But we need God's grace to live well each day, to get through life well, to deal with people well, to handle our marriage and our family well. We need the grace of God. That's why Carmela reminded us this morning from last week, his grace, his, mer his mercies, which is another way of saying his grace, are new every morning. There's a supply of grace to you to deal with today. And don't worry about tomorrow because today's got enough problems. I'm paraphrasing Jesus there as well. Deal with today and find his grace for today. Give me your daily bread for today, Lord. Give me what I need for the grace for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Need to move on. Let's go back to Romans 5. Let's pick up on this grace reigns. And... Uh, it also mentions here reigning in life through Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to say like that much about that today because I want to say that much about it next time. Okay, Reigning in life. We're going to come back to that next time. This is a comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam's sin, his trespass, brought, brought sin and death upon all of us. We all fell in Adam. But through the one man, Jesus, we can be not just restored, but redeemed. We're taken further than Adam was. That's another... If by the one man's trespass, that's Adam, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the overflow and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? It's his grace. The gift is not like the one man's sin. What Jesus is doing for us is not like just the reverse of Adam's fall. Because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses, from all of the, sin, all the sins of all the world, to answer that huge need, one man, Jesus, delivered the gift of grace. Amen. Resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Interestingly, we're going to see a couple of verses, if I can get them done today, where we, it talks about grace reigning. But in every case, it previously says sin reigned. Sin and death reign. You see, every one of us is under somebody's rule. You're not free. You're not just yourself. I'm my own man. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're either being ruled by sin and death and Satan or you're being ruled by grace and Jesus. But you're in one kingdom and the other one. Death reigned through because of that one man. But... Listen, I love this. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? They don't reign in life on their own. 
they reign in life through Jesus. And that's what we're going to pick up more on next week. You see, people like to quote, we're the head, not the tail. You're only the head if you've got a head. You with me? You're not the head on your own. You're only the head because he's your head. Because he's the king. Because you're under his reign. Those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness get to reign in life through Christ Jesus. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. Everyone's a sinner. So also, through one righteous act of Jesus, there is life-giving justification made available for everyone. Sorry, it goes on. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Not our obedience makes us righteous. Do you get it? We don't earn this. His obedience makes us righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, to show how sinful sin is. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm going to pick up on those phrases, grace will reign through righteousness. There are two phrases in that passage. I need to move. I'm getting blinded. Those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Great verse. We'll pick it up next week. Then it says, grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Go back. Keep it there a minute. Grace will reign through righteousness. The first statement relates to our being connected either to Adam or to Jesus. In Adam, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're under God's just condemnation. But the second reigning spells out how we reign in life. Grace reigns over us, which is another way of saying that Jesus is our Lord and Master. It's really just a change of language. Grace reigns over us. Grace isn't just what we tap into when we need it, a bit like going to the tap to get some water. Grace reigns over us. R-E-I-G-N-S, not R-A-I-N. Never mind. It reigns over us. We're to live our lives as Christians under the reign of grace. Under the lordship of Jesus. More on that next week. The outcome of grace reigning through righteousness, and that means right relationship with God and therefore the right behavior that begins to form, around, form in our lives, that illustrates rather than dishonors that relationship. It glorifies God rather than dishonors him. The result is final glory, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yet that eternal life, is another way of thinking about it, is the life of God in us. The life of God with us and in us. And that starts now, imperfectly, with some mixture. But one day we'll be liberated into full, open, glorious, eternal life with Christ. That's the outcome. That's the result. That's what we live for. Therefore, we live a different way. So in Romans, we have sin and death reign from Adam. Sin and death reign, but we can reign in life through the grace of God in Jesus. Sin and death reign, but grace will reign through righteousness. 
resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then one last one, Romans 6 verse 21. Here it becomes really practical. We've looked at these scriptures about grace reigning. Here's where Paul says, the therefore. The therefore is the preacher's application, the pastor's, the pastor's practical application, yes? Here it is, practical. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. You are learning to say no, yes? Right. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And don't offer any part of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. The, the Holman Christian standard is lovely here. Weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Ladies, this is military talk. Are you comfortable with this? Yeah. Weapons for righteousness. You know, parts of your body maybe used to be used for violence or some other purpose. But today, you're going to use them as weapons of righteousness. To do the right thing. To fight for the right thing. To contend and struggle for the right thing. Since grace reigns, do not let sin reign. Sorry, I didn't finish off the last bit. Verse 14. Some people have this on fridge magnet. For sin will not rule or reign, similar word, over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. Because you are reigned over by grace, by a loving shepherd, king. You're not under law, you're not condemned. But neither are you bound to continue to live the way you used to live. You're not under law. You're not bound to the law of sin and death. In fact, there isn't time to go into it, but Paul uses this wonderful phrase, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law which allows the spirit, this, the capital S, the Holy Spirit, to deliver new life to you. If you've been justified by his death, says Paul, how much more shall we be saved by his life? By Jesus' life being worked into us through the Holy Spirit, reigning in life, saying no, overcoming. And then further down in verse 22, Romans 6. So now, since you've been liberated from sin and you're not your own man, that's nonsense, you've become enslaved to God, you produce fruit, which results in sanctification, becoming more devoted to Christ and more, more separated in your lifestyle from the way the world is. And the end is, again, the end is eternal life. You're heading towards the final goal and you're getting closer to it in some ways. Getting nearer to heaven. I used to sing a, a hymn when I was a kid that every day we grow one bit more nearer to, nearer to heaven. I didn't understand at the time. I didn't know. And it, why they teach songs like the little kids? I'm, what am I doing, growing nearer to heaven? All I could think of as height, and I wasn't a tall guy. You know, but this is about character. This is about lifestyle. We are growing nearer to our goal. Grace doesn't permit us to continue in sin, in our old way of life. Jude comments that some people use the grace of God as an excuse for promiscuity. Oh, God forgives us, that kind of reasoning, you know. People throughout church history 
have traded on the mercy of God, but have refused the instruction and help of his grace. They didn't want to change. They thought they could just rely on mercy. You know, a Christian is not necessarily someone who says so, but someone who lives so. Jesus said you will know them, true false people, true false believers, true false prophets, whatever, by their fruit. See, we've got fruit trees down by my garden. I could hang a label on there. This is a pear tree. You come along and say, no, it isn't. What do you mean it isn't? Well, it's got plums hanging on it. You know a tree by its fruit. Sad thing is, many of us think it's okay to claim we're a Christian, and yet everything about us says something different. You will know a tree by its fruit. So to sum up here, grace has redeemed us. Grace teaches us. Grace reigns over us. Grace empowers us. Grace makes us righteous, gives us right standing before and right relationship with God. It teaches us to live righteously in faith and obedience towards God through Jesus and prepares us for eternal glory. It's better to understand the power or authority of God as something that reigns over us rather than some sort of Star Wars force. Yeah? It's his authority. We're going to talk a bit more about that next week as well. How we understand the authority of God and therefore the authority that we receive when we're under his authority to live life, to reign in life. I can be the head because I have a head. I can, I can, I can have authority. You know, people used to, used to say, I claim authority in the name of Jesus. And even then I thought, no, there's something wrong with that. Because you can't claim it, you either got it or you haven't. You either know that you are standing under the authority of Messiah Jesus, or you're trying to wrestle it into being. You're trying to make something happen. I haven't got it, but I need it, so let's claim it. I just don't, naming, claiming, I, I don't do. You, can, you confess, I speak to you by the authority of the Christ. You know that you've received the authority to say something, to do something. By the way, that's what in the name of Jesus means. It means you're saying it on his behalf. Or you're praying it for his glory. It's not, it's not like abracadabra at the end of a prayer. It's about his name, his authority. Right? So we're going to do more on authority next week. We live under grace, under the rule, the reign of the grace of God. Sin will not reign over you. Why? Because you're tough and strong. No. Because you're not under law. You're under grace. It's the help of God. You know, without the grace of God, we wouldn't last a minute. Again, Lamentation 3, by the mercies of God, we're not consumed. God's sustaining us by his grace so we don't turn into smoke this minute. So the grace of God reigns over us and enables us to live new lives in Jesus. Grace changes everything and it does so by reigning over us, supplying us and helping us. And I'm going to leave the rest the next time. Let me just sum up and finish with this quote again from Jonathan Edwards, which I really love. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was 1700s American Puritan preacher, theologian. 
He said, grace is but glory begun. And glory, final glory, final reward is but grace perfected. We are not saved through faith in Jesus and then we just kind of like wander around and one day we'll go to heaven. We are growing by God's grace nearer to our goal. Grace changes us. And grace changes not all in one go, but incrementally. Grace upon grace. You'll find there are times in your life when you feel challenged about something. You never felt challenged about that particularly before, but you do now. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit working grace in you. He's not condemning you. He's telling you, you need grace for this. Let's change this now, shall we? Says heaven. You think, why didn't I know think about this before? No, no, that's not your problem. Right now, we're going to talk about this, and this is what's going to change next. That's growing in the grace of God. And that's another sermon for another time too. Growing in the grace of God. Growing, growing in this way, having learned that, growing in that way, having learned that, slipping onto this way. And I could not dream of being the kind of pastor that ordered that for every one of your lives. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. Who leads you into truth, grace and righteousness. Step by step by step. Every one of us, if we're a Christian, is still on a pathway, still on a journey of growing in the grace of God. Grace is glory begun, but glory will be grace perfected. Amen? Let's pray together. We're going to break bread. Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible grace. <laughs> it finds us where we are and deals with us as we are, but it then begins to shape us into the image of Jesus. You are determined to make us more and more like your dear son in character and lifestyle, in the things we love and the things we don't love, the things we now hate. So I, when we come to scriptures that warn us and challenge us about these things, help us, Father, give us this understanding. This is the word of your grace to us because you empower us to change. This is not a ticking off. This is a reminder. We don't have to be like this. We don't have to live this way. Your grace is available to help us. Lord, write those words in our heart, Hebrews 4.16. We can come any moment of any day boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy if we've got it wrong and grace to help us. Teach every one of us not to keep long accounts about these things but short accounts. I've, I've gone wrong here. I've missed. Come on, let's, let's go, to the, go to the throne of grace and get, this, get new help. Let's get new help from God. Father, you're our Father. Jesus, you're our elder brother and our saviour and our shepherd, and we love you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in us what is pleasing to our God and Father. You don't give up on us, you're very persistent. We thank you that all of that is wrapped up in this goodness of God, this grace of God. Everything you do towards us is wrapped in grace. Even when you chastise us, it's your love, it's your grace. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to break.